It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What looked like a perfect round for Arsenal turned on two goals. Joe Allen's late equalizer at Anfield and Robert Huth giving Leicester victory at White Hart Lane. Elsewhere, City stalled, Manchester United stumbled, and Aston Villa finally broke through. Welcome everybody to this edition of the World Soccer Talk podcast. I'm your host, Richard Farley. Thank you very much for joining us. It was a quick turnaround after last weekend's FA Cup third round, and with the 22nd match day of the Premier League season only days away, it's going to be a very quick midweek pod. Joining me to preview the weekend's fixtures as well as look back on Tuesday and Wednesday's action is my host, Nipun Chopra. Nipun, which games did you actually get to watch this week? Uh, I watched the United game because I'm a self-hating did. United supporter. <laughs> I'm sure that was well, I'm sure that was uh, a brilliant experience for you. I know, I know. Parts, and of I it, also, parts of it were, right? Say that again? Parts of it were brilliant. We got to see the non-corpse yeah. version of Wayne Rooney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was almost like Wayne Rooney was back to his best. But let's be honest, it's it's mm-hmm. a passing phase, isn't it, with yeah. Waza? So uh, other than that, I watched uh, today, I definitely watched the Liverpool Arsenal game, which I'm sure we'll talk about because I think it was the highlight of the games. I watched Everton City hoping that it would be the highlight of the day, but it wasn't. And I also, um, I know we talked about this a little bit, but I switched over to the Tottenham Leicester game, uh, to watch how that was playing out and caught the goal. And it was, it was fun. It was, it was, a, it was like Boxing Day. I wish we'd had more separation of the games, you know? I wish we had more separation between the final whistles and the time to record the pod. We're about, <laughs> We're about 75 minutes after the final whistles, the whistles of the noon Pacific time kickoff games, uh, Pacific time being my time, so it's the only time in the world. And usually on the weekends, we have like these big blocks after the games where we can get caught up and watch the uh, games and uh, really have some time to digest which stories were important and which stories weren't. Uh, now we have to kind of uh, use our senses a little bit more, not plan right. things out. And our senses definitely tell us that the most exciting game was one of the last ones. Liverpool 3-3 at Anfield up and down game for much of this game I'm sure that the fans in Anfield thought that their side was going to get another upset over a big club get three points Arsenal as it approached the end of the game looked like Olivier Giroud's two goals had delivered them full points then Joe Allen's late strike brought them back just a really good game all around Nipun but what did you take from it? Well, a couple of things. I think uh, the the stuff with Mignolet has to be discussed. I know goalkeepers have 
bad days, but this is becoming too much of an issue, I think. Uh, Describe what you're talking about, because maybe some people watch the other games, but there were two goals in particular in this game that you could, to to varying degrees, blame on Simone Mignolet. Definitely. I mean, uh, people will talk... So the second goal that Giroud scored came off uh, what looked at first like another Olympico, which would have been probably the sixth or seventh Olympico (laughs) in the last month, which is crazy. Uh, But it did take a touch of Giroud but you have to question his positioning there it looked like even if Giroud hadn't touched it it would have gone right through his leg so uh yeah. it looked me, like Mignolet did not react to the yeah. short corner at all he was positioned in the middle of the goal at the time of the kick the corner goes short about two meters two meters two yards or yeah. um outside of the near post and Mignolet never makes up that space so when uh Giroud gets his leg around Sacco and barely tips that ball it goes into it goes against Mignolet and into goal and then again, it also reinforces to me, at least, the issue with Klopp where he uh, comes back to maybe the little bit of naivety. He, he he refuses to put men on the post. He refuses to help his goalkeeper by put, sticking a defender in front of him, uh, plays positional marking in the box. And that, I, d- I don't have a stat right at the top of my head, but I believe that's at least the fifth goal they've conceded from set pieces since Klopp has taken over. I'm sure someone will fact check me on that, but I believe that that's true. Well, that makes perfect sense since they've had so much trouble keeping their central defenders healthy. You lose somebody like Martin Skrull, your set-piece defending is going to go away yeah. uh, or or suffer at least. And Mignolet was also uh, at fault, you could say, for Aaron Ramsey's goal, his positioning. Mm-hmm. A lot of people noting Aaron Ramsey scoring that goal very through a very slim gap between Mignolet and his near post. Um, but overall, this was... This wasn't a game that's going to be remembered for the bad goalkeeping per se. I think both teams are going to look at this as yeah. positive performances, but also missed opportunities, particularly Arsenal, because with the Leicester result at White Hart Lane, now Arsenal is back in a situation where they're joint top of the table. And while there is going to be that that's criticism, that mm-hmm. reminiscing about what could have been, I still look at this as a very positive performance and result for the Gunners. Yeah, definitely. I mean, especially going away from home uh, to to Liverpool to Anfield, uh, a, a place that Arsenal has not has a, had a great record uh, over the last decade or so. So, for in that sense, you would say that Arsenal uh, will be happy with the point. Uh, some of the things that worked in Arsenal's favor again, Joel Campbell with another good performance until he. I mean, he worked his his socks off. He was subbed off in the seventy fifth odd minute, um, and to me, that I think if you look at the positioning sense, I think having Ox on the pitch um, contributed to a couple of chances, maybe not the goal itself, but at least a couple of chances sure. that Liverpool had. So that's something that will worry uh, worry Wenger. But the performance of Cla- Campbell was great. Uh, and Giroud, I mean, he's he's Absolutely. maligned. Yeah, he's maligned in some ways the same way um, <laughs> players like Dzeko and Berbatov have historically. But you have to say that he was exceptional today. Uh, his his finish from on the left foot, the way he turned, was was exceptional, and uh, he, he was he was amazing today. Arsenal's third goal, Giroud made that unstoppable. At least yeah. from Mignolet's point of view, finishing it into the far side netting after he made that turn. Uh, when you mentioned Berbatov and Jeko, uh, the analogy that came to mind is that uh, Giroud is criticized the same way you would criticize a rainbow for not having an eighth color. <laughs> That's very good. I like that. I've not heard that before, but I'm going to use that. Uh, the one thing that 
NBC highlighted at halftime, and I completely agree with this, and it, it pertains to how we view Arsenal's title chances going forward, is mm-hmm. that Jurgen Klopp, I think, did a very good job of making the non-Metsuit Oldsol Gunners beat him. Oldsol had one of his least effective games in a long time, and I think a lot of that is because of the way that Liverpool set up and paid attention to him. Uh, Liverpool played with three central three central midfielders. They usually play with three central midfielders, but usually one more in an attacking role. They sacrificed a striker, and a lot of talk about them going with a false nine today. As a result, Oldsol had a much much more diminished effect. His touches were down and it required players like Giroud, Aaron Ramsey, Joel Campbell to step up. And I thought that was very encouraging for Arsenal. We, we talk, we've talked throughout this year about what would Arsenal do if Metsud also either comes back down to earth or resumes the inconsistencies that have plagued him throughout most of his career. And uh, if you're a, a gooner today, I think that it's a very encouraging sign that they didn't need him to get a point out of Anfield. Yeah, I mean, that's actually a really good way to look at it. I hadn't thought of that. I mean, Otsil did struggle today, but to frame it in that way, Richard, is actually a good thing, right? From, from their perspective, because with, with the way the stats Otsil has had, in some sense, we've all wondered if anyone can stop him. And here they are. Uh, they, they had a different couple of people step up. Ramsey, who, by the way, until the emergence of Otsil this year was the guy that they expected to have the Otsil role in vis-a-vis have assists and have goals from deep. So uh, ha- having him on the score sheet and then as aforementioned Giroud, uh, Campbell, um, and actually some decent performances from the fullbacks as well, you would say it's a good day at the office for the Gunners. Manchester City had an opportunity to move within one of the top given the other results among the leaders. Nil-nil draw at Everton. City with control of much of this match, unable to craft out the kind of chances that you would really, um, that you would really want a team that's pursuing the goals that they are with the talent that they have to craft mm-hmm. out. Uh, just seemed like a bunch of half chances or an inability to break through a a decent Everton defense and overall it just felt like a missed opportunity in input. It felt like this game was there for the taking and they didn't step up to it. I feel like this is the kind of game that I need to think about a little bit more because that's the part of me that thinks Everton missed a chance today because City, uh, so first of all, City, you're absolutely right. City dominated the game, should have put the game away for nothing, even five nothing. They, but I mean, like they you're had, saying, Everton maybe missed a chance because yeah. Manchester City's defense has been terrible this year. Exactly. And that, that's my point is that they did, never really tried to get out of the box. I mean, there was yeah. one chance towards the end where, uh, I think it was, it might have been Lukaku, but it was someone who had a, sh- a pretty decent chance on goal. But other than then, other than that, Everton really did play defensively. Mm-hmm. So there's the part of me that thinks there's the missed chance. But then, because because I love Everton and I want them to beat City and and rub it in Karthik's face because he he's so down on Roberto Martinez. But then there's the other part of me, Richard, that is that thinks, wait a minute, what if I have to give credit to Martinez for pulling out this result? Because at the end of the day. They played a very good City team and came away with it with a clean sheet, with a point, uh, even though they had to play uh, their best central defender at right back, you know, mm. uh, to, to incorporate, uh, um, for our listeners who might not watch the game, to incorporate the returning Jagielka alongside Funes Mori, they put stones at right back. So when you look at some of those things, uh, and they still had a very aging Barry next to Besic, you have to give them credit maybe. 
Stone's part of a controversial non-call at the end of this match. Yeah. Probably deserved to give some credit to Tim Howard here too. Timmy. Much maligned, rightfully maligned. He came up with a big performance. Not not a spectacular performance, but he did everything he needed to today. I mean, a couple of really good saves. A couple of very yeah. good saves, yes. Uh, perhaps the most influential result of the day came at White Hart Lane, where it looked like Leicester City and Tottenham were destined for a nil-nil. But then late in this match, Robert Huth, unmarked on a corner kick, gives the Foxes a 1-0 victory. Claudio Ranieri's team is now even with Arsenal at the top of the table, 43 points through 21 games. Huge result for the Foxes, Nipun. Huge, huge, huge result for the Foxes. Uh, I think it's interesting that in this game, first of all, we were surprised because Vardy started. I think all of us expected that Came back that really he, quick. Yeah, we all expected him to be missing for this game. Started alongside Okazaki. Okazaki again ran his socks off. Uh, from a Spurs perspective, I thought Eric Lamella was at fault for a lot of what happened. I was surprised this, he started. Yeah, and, and I don't know if if you caught this, Richard, but he 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 got through a couple of times on the wing, and his final ball was horrible. And then there was a, a there was a chance. I do not remember who played the ball to him, but Lamella should have put it away. So from that perspective, Lamella was the central point of this this game and did not provide good service to Kane and also missed a pretty good chance. Lamella, Carroll, both I was surprised to see starting. We saw Dembele, Son come off the bench. I didn't catch too much of this one, but I was watching uh, the minute by minute as it happened. I was a little bit surprised at the decisions. I guess I better hold off on judging it until I can watch that game later this week. Uh, Spurs, though, we're talking about them now. Uh, I believe this result leaves them seven points back, the dual leaders at the top of the table. Just as we were starting to see Seriously talk about them being title contenders, and now my faith in them is really shaken. Is it though? I mean, well, look, my faith. I don't know if it's right that it's shaken. Yeah, yeah. I think that I think the idea that they were title contenders. If you ask any Spurs supporter, Richard, they would be happy with a you know with the uh, first with the Champions League spot. So, but that doesn't that- mean they're not title contenders. And Spurs supporters rightfully are very skeptical of things. But mm-hmm. this is a team that had the tie for the best goal difference, tie for the best not tie for the best defense, the best defense in the league coming in today's matches. And they they miss an opportunity to get points at home against a fellow title contender. To me, that's very telling. Yeah, you're, you're right in that sense. I just don't think they have enough of an attacking backbone outside of Kane to be real title contenders. I, I think their strengths are in defense. All the world has had the best season of his life, arguably, alongside Vertonghen. Uh, the, that triumvirate in midfield we've talked about in central midfield uh, with Dele Alli, etc. Those are their strengths. And I, I don't see enough at the other end uh, other than, uh, you know, some. let's be honest, even based on a, the little bit of form he's had, Kane still this season has been up and down. So Very that's why so. I don't think they're title contenders. Well, it's a quick pod today, but that doesn't mean we can't mention the other action that happened around the Premier League. On Tuesday, Wayne Hennessy's error gifted oh. Micah Richards a goal, and Aston Villa won awesome. their first game since round one of the season, a 1-0 victory over visiting Crystal Palace. Bournemouth struck first at Dean Court, but then saw West Ham reel off three late goals, including two by Enter Valencia. The Hammers win their third in a row, 3-1. Manchester two amazing U- free kicks, let me add. The second one was... Should, yeah, people should watch. Yeah, yeah, the second one doesn't make sense to me, even on video. Yeah. <laughs> Manchester United led 2-0 and 3-2 at St. James's Park, but a late Paul Dummett blast meant Newcastle United preserved a 3-3 draw. 
On Wednesday, Jermaine Defoe had a hat trick as Sunderland's unlikely talisman de- helped deliver a 4-2 win at Swansea City. Stoke took advantage of a 10-man Norwich to post a 3-1 win at the Britannia. Southampton got a much-needed 2-0 win over visiting Watford. Chelsea benefited from a Gareth McCauley own goal but couldn't hold two leads in their 2-2 draw at Stamford Bridge against visiting West Brom. Leicester is now even on top of the table like we talked about, 43 points through 21 rounds. But they trail Arsenal on goal difference, still three points back. Manchester City remain within reach of the top on 40 points, but Spurs, as we mentioned, have fallen seven points back. At the bottom of the league, Villa's win still leaves them eight points from safety with 11. Newcastle falls to 19th with goal difference moving them behind Sunderland. Swansea City now is only one point to the good after losing to the Black Cats at the Liberty Stadium. Nipun, let's talk about your team, Manchester United. They were in the marquee match on Tuesday, and they looked very good going up 2-0. I'm sure a lot of Red Devil supporters had their hopes up after that one. But then the suspect defense that has appeared over the last uh, six weeks or so for Louis Van Hall's team showed up again, conceding three goals to Newcastle and essentially giving away two points at St. James's Park. Yeah, it's a pretty good summary. I, I, <laughs> I think that if you had uh, told me before the game this would end 3-3 out of snapped your hands off just because it's been so boring with United. Um, this was a good game to watch. In this, from a neutral perspective, uh, going two nothing up. One of which, by the way, came from a counterattack. Uh, did you? Did you? Did you? Brilliantly that? executed counterattack. Too. Yeah. Since when did Manchester United started counterattack? They were again? so effective on the counter in this game, though. I mean, Wayne yeah. Rooney. Wayne Rooney's control on that counterattack, pulling the defender away from Lingard's run, and then cutting that ball back for him. And Lingard, with his one good finish of the day, it was yeah. beautiful to watch. It was it was a throwback to days of old, the kind of the football that we love to see. But what's been happening, Richard, lately is whenever United's on the counter, they take a minute to play the ball back into central midfield. And luckily that <laughs> didn't happen at that time. Uh, so well, that was exciting to see. We saw some histrionics from Louis van Hall, which was also uh, rare. Yeah. Very stoic Louis van Hall. Uh, so those were rarities. But the big credit goes to Newcastle because... To me, they, they came back from 2 nothing down to, to make it 2-2, from 3-2 down to make it 3-3. Uh, and in that sense, si- since we cons- constantly consider them relegation candidates, uh, I, I know that I do, uh, it's amazing to see what this team is doing under McLaren over the last month. Uh, you know, dropping points, but giving great performances. Yeah, looking very capable. Exactly. And to me, this, this was no less than they deserved. And uh, here's, here's an interesting thing. I don't know if you got a chance to watch the Newcastle Watford game, uh, uh, Richard, in, in the midweek for the FA Cup, but it was Wijnaldum's awful back pass that led to the goal. I saw that, that highlight at least. Yeah. I didn't see the game, but I remember that goal now. Yeah, so it was Wijnaldum's back pass that led to the exit because mm. Newcastle should have won that game. Yet yeah. again, they, should, they lost a the game that they should have won. Maybe, so it was, maybe Wijnaldum was doing good because it doesn't serve the Magpies at all to be concentrated on more than one competition point. at that's this point. That's a good point. point. So, I, th- I think Kyle Martino had a good point regarding United. Kyle uh-huh. Martino, the NBC analyst, that oh, yeah. if in addition to Schneiderlin, they had either Schweinsteiger or Carrick next to right, him in right. central midfield, they maybe are able to hold on to this game. But I agree with you. Ultimately, 3-3 kind of felt right in this Mm -hmm. one. Let's talk about a couple of other games and let's take our break. But I want to get your quick reactions to these results. Uh, We haven't had time to watch these games. But we did see that West Ham, 3-1 victory at Bournemouth, winning their third in a row. They're now in fifth place, passing Manchester United in the table. West Ham, are you buying into them any more than maybe you were five or six weeks ago? It 
feels like they've snuck up on people a little bit and they're only one point behind Spurs now. I am because you have to look at the fact that they're now eight unbeaten, right, in the Premier League. That, that's a really good record. I mean, there are a couple of draws in there, for, but for a club like West Ham, eight unbeaten, five of th- five of which I think were away, is a really good record. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for me, that that is something to look at. The fact that Valencia is back is huge because if you think back to the form they had last year, Richard, Ener Valencia was a crucial part of that. So to have him back uh, and scoring a fantastic. Uh, goal a couple of goals this this week is probably something that they'll keep uh, that West Ham fans will think will help them be blowing bubbles as as the season goes on. Stoke City moves into seventh place, three one win over Norwich, aided greatly by Gary O'Neill drawing a red card early in the first half or midway through the first half. All three goals coming eleven against ten. Stoke City is now seventh in the league, thirty two points, only two points behind Manchester United. I'm not letting this go, Napoon. I think this is a hint of how weak the Premier League is. Stoke City, <laughs> Stoke City, still with only twenty four goals through twenty one games, a very decent team. But the fact that they're in seventh place just tells me how weak the Premier League. is is this year or how competitive the premier league is sure <laughs> well both. No, it, it's absolutely both because the premier yeah. league is definitely competitive and yeah. i love that but the fact that stoke city is the seventh best team in england right now is equally telling because just really quickly i know we have to move on but do you think it's uh you say that because of the quality they have in the team because they have some good players they have some good players but like we've talked about before the good players that they have are attacking players that are still not producing yeah. the kind of goals commensurate with the reputation and i do think by the end of the year stoke city is going to have that problem solved but as of right now stoke city is still working through getting that attack together and the fact that they've been able to stay mid-table and are now climbing into european contention just shows me that the rest of the teams around them are just as confused as to how to win games. <laughs> yeah, that's true. More parity or worse league? I think this co- this conversation both. will keep on going. Or both. both. I think you're right. It's yeah. both. And it's still it's still it's definitely still great to watch. Let's talk about Southampton, a team that we saw clawing, yeah, clawing towards relegation, but a big 2-0 win today. Oh, I was so excited. I did not get to watch a minute of this game. I look forward to watching the uh some of the highlights. But the result is exciting. Uh, I think Southampton is too good to go down. It brings them up to 12th. Uh, admittedly, that's, you know, what, where, where is that? That's like eight points from, uh, they're eight, they're nine points from nine. the drop right now. Okay. So that, that's good because, you know, just maybe three weeks ago, we were talking about them going down. So, so great result for Southampton. Yeah. Hopefully this will mean that they will end up at least mid-table, which is where they belong. And with that big Arsenal win they had a couple weeks ago, they've actually won two out of four, which is not great, but it's also not too bad. Exactly. Uh, we Mid-table form. <laughs> yeah, we mentioned Chelsea a little bit, but one team I want to mention is Crystal Palace because now through the last four games, they have only two points. They have no goals. And from the edge of the top four, as they were before Christmas, they are now down to eighth. I don't know if I'm worried about them, but it does seem like they're going through the type of lull that we've seen Pardew's teams go yeah. through before. Yeah, that, that, that historical narrative is there, isn't it? With Pardew, it's always great, 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 great. Let's give him a long-term contract. In the case of Newcastle, a 38-year contract. <laughs> and the next season, he's gone. So um, there is that, but hopefully that will turn around. Uh, there's some good players in that team. In that, in that team. Uh, in this game, actually... Uh, I watched the highlights, and Palace should have gone up, uh, gone f- one up in the first minute uh, mm-hmm. via Wilfred Zaha. So there were a few chances that were missed, and let's not forget that this was entirely a Hennessy created issue. Uh, not only did he miss that 
just that shocker off of the Lescott header, which you mentioned earlier. But minutes before that, he had dropped an easy strike. So it was an awful day at the office for Hennessy. Yeah, I said that it was Mike, um, Michael Richards, didn't I? It's actually Jolien Lescott on there. So <laughs> thanks for that. Uh, that very same Mans- kind- you know, all the Man City defenders are the same. Yeah, recycle- recycled Manchester City defender. <laughs> um, Aston Villa, credit to them. They're now on 11 points. Still not quite enough to hope yet, but at least the arrow is starting to point upward. Let's go ahead and take our break right now. When we come back, we're going to talk about the transfers that have happened in the last three days. Get Nippoon's top four. Update you on the round that happened midweek in the championship before we look forward to the weekend, the 22nd round of action in the Premier League. This is the World Soccer Talk Podcast. England's second tier, one of the three leagues we're going to be updating you on throughout the rest of the year, is becoming Middlesbrough's league. Middlesbrough went on the road at Brentford on Tuesday, 1-1-0, and opened up a six-point lead on Derby County after Derby drew it home to Reading. That draw allowed Hull City, with their 2-0 win over Cardiff on Wednesday, to claim second place from the Rams, Steve Bruce's side, pushing for promotion. Elsewhere, Burnley and Ipswich stayed in fourth and fifth place with their wins, but Brighton Hove Albion has now lost three in a row. They dropped a 2-0 result to Rotherham United. That's Rotherham United that's been at the bottom of the table for most of this season. Nipun, we do our top fours every weekend, but a lot of times you don't get to do those top fours. I think it's only fair to give you an opportunity to tell us on form who you have as your four best teams in the league, and then who are you predicting to finish top four at the end of the season. Happy to. On form, Arsenal, West Ham, Leicester, Manchester, Manchester City. Uh, end of the season, for the first time today, I have bumped Arsenal as winning, City second, Leicester third, and fourth, let's say Barcelona. Because that's <laughs> who, that's how likely any team is to finish fourth. No team in this Premier League wants to finish fourth. I have no idea. I'm going to say Barcelona finishes fourth. <laughs> Part of the reason I wanted you to read that list is the likelihood that I thought that Arsenal was going to be top because we have been getting a lot of grief from Arsenal fans all year as to why yeah. me and Kartik in particular are unwilling to move the Gunners top. But if you follow me on Twitter, you know yesterday I basically said I'm moving Arsenal first because Manuel Pellegrini announced that Vincent Kompany is likely out two or three more we'll months that. with his calf problem. And like I said on a previous show, if we get bad news about Kompany, I'm bumping Arsenal up. So to me, Arsenal, even with their draw today at Anfield, top of my list. Kartik also, I think it's poised to put Arsenal number one on his list too. Yeah. Transfers, we're going to update you on transfers every show from now until the end of the January window. There were four meaningful ones in the Premier League in the last three days. Lewis Graban moves back to Bournemouth from Norwich for 9 million euros. Stephen Calker goes on loan from QPR to help Liverpool with their central defense problems. John Joe Shelby makes the 12 million pound move to Newcastle. John Joe Shelby is a 12 million pound player. Wow. And then Henry Save from Bordeaux to Newcastle also helping the Magpies rebuild their midfield. Nipun, which of those four moves is going to be the most influential? It will be John Joe Shelby, but really quickly, Luis Graban makes a sense from only one perspective, which is Burnmouth have essentially weakened a direct relegation rival. So I think this confirms to me that Norwich is more likely to get relegated than Burnmouth, hmm. uh, especially alongside the change, the, the couple of forwards that Burnmouth has already signed. Hmm. Stephen Cocker, as you said, is all about depth. John Joe Shelby for me is the big one, uh, even based on his uh, price tag. I think the reason that is, is because Newcastle is a team that wants to play on the break. John Joe Shelby has two talents 
that he's known for actually three. One is getting red cards, so we'll forget about that one. Uh, the second talent he's known for is long long range shooting. He's really good at that. Uh, probably the best since Charlie Adam. And, uh, wow. and yeah, and then the the third thing that is important that fits this Newcastle system is long range passing. Mm-hmm. He's going to be the one who's going to be asked to release the likes of Wijnaldum. Uh, so you're going to see him play that long ball out of central midfield. So in that sense, I think he'll have the most uh, biggest impact on his team out of these signings. Nine matches spread over two days this weekend, starting all these times Eastern at 7.45 Eastern, Tottenham Hotspur hosting Sunderland at the 10 a.m. kickoff time. We have Manchester City hosting Crystal Palace, Everton visiting Chelsea, Bournemouth welcoming Norwich City to Dean Court, Southampton hosting West Brom, West Ham United going north to St. James's Park to visit Newcastle, and then Aston Villa hosting Leicester City. On Sunday, the big match of the round, Liverpool hosting Manchester United before Stoke City at at 11.15 Eastern hosts Arsenal. Let's start with that big derby, Liverpool versus Manchester United. It is the biggest match in England still. Although, Nipun, I have to admit that over the various jobs I've had over the last four years, it seems like I'm always asking writers to write articles about how bad these two teams can, can be, how much they can regress, while this match remains the marquee match in England. But it still, it still is. The number of Liverpool and Manchester United fans in England mean that this is going to be the marquee fixture on the Premier League's list when the schedule comes out. And given the matches around it this weekend, this is still the match I'm looking forward to most. Yeah, I think we have to, uh, also stateside, by the way, not just England. There are a huge number of United. Well, and the whole, probably in the whole world. Whole world, exactly. So so this match right. is a huge game. Maybe, uh, maybe, the- maybe Arsenal gets up there. I mean, Arsenal has deep roots in a couple yeah. of continents at this point. Mm-hmm. You're, you're right. Uh, mostly because, you know, they're, they're one generation, well, half a generation away from uh, the the Invincibles era, so there is that that uh, history now, quote mm-hmm. unquote, with Arsenal. So um, with Liverpool United, I don't think they have had as much of a rivalry since Benitez left, because that was the mm. last time both clubs were involved in a title battle simultaneously. Mm. Both clubs have been involved in title battles at different times, uh, but not since then. Mm-hmm. At the same time, so but it's a huge game, and and here's the thing, Richard. I was talking about this with. Uh, we did the ULF podcast yesterday and we're going to do like a live show as we, as we do because it's kind of like Christmas for my other podcast. But we were talking about this yesterday. In a way, this is the perfect match for Klopp. United plays possession football. United plays passes in the middle third in their own defensive half. So in that sense, Gigan Press is tailor-made to destroy this Manchester United team. And that is what I worry about. Well, I guess I want to offer a counter uh, yeah. argument to that because the one thing that Manchester United has shown that they can do, potentially as opposed to Arsenal, who had some trouble today when Liverpool's attackers were pressing up against that back line, is they show that they're very good at cycling the ball, particularly back to De Gea, dropping midfielders back, one, two midfielders back to provide outlets. And particularly with the midfielders, sometimes I question whether Arsenal is providing enough support when Koscielny is being pressed or Murtisacker is being pressed, and those guys may be having trouble making two-level passes, trying to find a, an Otsul or somebody else. With Manchester United, they don't even try to do that. They're, they're more than comfortable dropping back Schneiderlin, Schweinsteiger into the defensive line or uh, dropping back even somebody like Amata if he starts into deep midfield and not keep keeping the attacking role. 
Uh, I think there definitely is the potential for that, but I also think there's potential for Manchester United, if they are as good in their possession as they usually are around the back, to force Liverpool to give up the pressing and fall back into those lines of four quickly that you're supposed to do with this Gengen pressing style. And if they don't do that, or maybe if Liverpool's inexperience with this system shows through, pull some of those Liverpool attackers out of position. The question is, of course, with Manchester United, is whether they can actually take advantage of the opposition once that happened. Because as you noted in the last segment, Manchester United has a funny way of being satisfied once they break an initial line of pressure, like kicking that ball back into midfield, circulating it around, and not really taking advantage of openings that might be there. So I wonder if that's how it's going to play out. And if it does, I'm going to be very disappointed because that seems like it's going to leave the game open to being defined by set pieces and fluke mistakes. Yeah, and we also have to uh, think about the number of injuries both teams have, uh, which which players will come back. I, I believe Lovren will be back for this game. Mm-hmm. So that's a boost because uh, even today, I, I thought Toure was was abysmal today. <laughs> so uh, that's there. And, and for United's half, uh, whether Schweinsteiger comes back is important because as you correctly and other people have pointed out, without Schweinsteiger... Uh, slash Carrick, the possession system which LVG doesn't uh, wants to play doesn't work. Uh, of course, that's not the system I want us to play. But at the end of the day, you have to do what your manager wants you to do. So they're kind of lost and they're caught in two worlds. If if one of those two players isn't there, let's quick hit the games at the top of the table. Uh, most prominent of which Stoke City versus Arsenal, which is always which is developing into a game that a lot of people circle on the calendar each yeah. year. Unfortunately, a lot of that has to do with uh, Shawcross and Ramsey. But it, this is a place where Arsenal has not had much recent success. That is true. Uh, Stoke have lost just one out of last seven at home against Arsenal. That that's an amazing record for for a club of Arsenal's stature. Uh, that goes back to previous manager uh, Tony Pulis, who 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 set up in a very different way. Uh, we know that for a little while there, Stoke was for any club was unplayable uh, at the Britannia. So, uh, but having said that, we do know that the new Stoke under Hughes uh, is a different beast, and in that sense, with with uh, with the way Arsenal are playing, which is uh, very different from the Arsenal of old, and the way Stoke are playing, which is very different from Stoke of old, this is a good battle, and I would have to still give the edge to Arsenal. Mm. Aston Villa versus Leicester City. As positive as it is to see Villa gets three points, I I just don't see why anybody would pick Villa to win this one. They still didn't exactly show that they're a good team. On the yeah. other hand, Leicester City has shown that they're not going to regress as easily as so many pre- people predicted they would. Exactly, and you know we we kept we kept waiting for the the fall of Leicester City, and here we are. They're still in second place. Well, almost in first place. It's January thirteenth. This is amazing. And here's the thing: they got free pizza today because they kept their clean sheets. So <laughs> they're going to be so happy, Richard. They're going to be uh, pretty overweight here soon. From all the pizza that's that true. They are going to be overweight. So Villa, um, less said about their status right now, the, the better, I guess. Uh, Leicester City have to be considered. Far, far favorites. Uh, uh, historically, just to put this in context, though, Leicester have lost three of last four at Villa Park. Uh, but this Villa side uh, is just there's just not enough there, and Leicester should win this comfortably. Manchester City versus Crystal Palace, two teams that are struggling for goals right now. I don't think this is a must-win for City in terms of the title race, but it is a bit of a must-win in terms of their trend, their yeah. confidence. They're getting a struggling team at home. They they need to come through with three points on this one. In likelihood, one of Arsenal and Leicester City are going to win this weekend. So if Manchester City doesn't win, then they're more than one game back of the top spot. 
Yeah, definitely. With Palace, uh, uh, in spite of their their loss today, they still do have a good good. They still have good record away from home, much better than they do at home. Uh, so you would say that that gives them a bit of a chance against City. Uh, on paper, of course, it's it's an it's completely a City's win, but uh, at the same time. There are some issues there in defense, as we've hinted at, and someone like Zaha. Uh, I, I don't know if Balassi is fit. Is, do we know if he's even playing? I have not even looked that up, Nipu. Yeah, but but you know, th- there's enough wing play in Palace uh, to to trouble the likes of Kolarov and Sanya. So those are the things mm-hmm. that they'll they'll worry about. Monday, Watford visits Swansea City to close out the round in the league. Of course, there are matches like Chelsea Everton, Newcastle West Ham that we mentioned, but we just don't have time to get to today because we're out the door. Short midweek pod. We'll come back to you again on Sunday. Myself, Lawrence McKenna, and Kartik Krishnaya with our typical hour-long weekend review show. But until then, for everybody in the World Soccer Talk family and Nipun Chopra, I'm Richard Farley imploring you to enjoy your football. The World Soccer Talk podcast is a production of World Soccer Talk and is executive produced by Christopher Harris and produced by Richard Farley. You can get the podcast a number of different ways, including Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Audioboom, or you can go to worldsoccertalk.com to download the show directly. To get in touch with one of the hosts, you can reach out to them on Twitter. I'm Richard Farley. Kartik is KKFLA737. Lawrence is LOZCAST, Lawscast. And Nipun is Nipun Chopra7. Don't want to bother with Twitter? Go ahead and reach out via email. Richard at WorldSoccerTalk.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.